0: Um, Like Dave said, uh, we're starting a new series uh, today called Landmark. And I I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but did you know that your life has a shape to it? Uh, I, I found this out actually playing around on Google Maps uh, a few weeks ago, and kind of ended up going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but but buried in the settings of Google Maps, and this, this might disturb some of you, um, but is this kind of tracking thing that will show you the history of where you've been on any given day. So you can find this in Google Maps, and so I pulled up a day, and it kind of looked like this. I'd go from my house to the gym in the morning, then to Spring Arbor, then to West Winds, then to the Hub, and back and forth. We did the same thing for uh, Jake McGarry, one of our other staff people, and with mine, I just started going back further and further and further and realizing that a lot of my days kind of had this same shape to them. I've lived in the same house for 13 years. I've worked at Westwinds for that same amount of time, worked at the Hub for seven or eight years, at Spring Arbor for nine or 10 years. So I have this kind of defined routine. You, You might call it a rut if you want to think about it kind of negatively, where I just go from the same place to the same place to the same place. Same thing could be said about you. Um, My guess is if you pulled up your Google Maps and looked at that setting, you would find that your life pretty much works the same way. I mean, unless you're a traveling salesman or working the circus. (laughs) You know, I don't know um, if if that's you, but no judgment here if it is. But your life kind of looks the same way. And that's, that's really what I found to be true about me. And over the last few months, I've kind of had this question that's been lingering uh, in, my, in my soul a little bit, you might say, something I think God's been pressing into, which is just this, why am I here? I don't mean it in the existential way of, you know, why are any of us here? I mean, why am I here specifically? Because I could have been born at any point in human history and I could live anywhere in the world, except I don't. I live here, where we have 16 months of winter every single year. (laughs) I live here. I work here. I have the family that I have, the friends that I have. And so I've really been asking myself the question, what would happen if I thought about where I was as something significant, maybe even as something sacred? I mean, what would it look like if we decided that where we were mattered? I mean, maybe if we leaned into that a little bit, uh, we would find some meaning uh, in things that feel a little bit mundane. Maybe we'd find um, some purpose. And maybe we'd find new ways that we'd be able to partner with God and his work in the world. So that's what Landmark is about. It's about how to really lean into the places that you are and see how God might be working uh, right there. And in order to talk about this, uh, we want to introduce you to a biblical character you saw in the video uh, named Elijah. And Elijah is someone who just kind of bursts onto the scenes in in the book of 1 Kings. and, And you find him sent by God to give a message to an evil king named Ahab. Now, Ahab was married to a a Phoenician woman who he had made his queen by the name of Jezebel. And even if you're not from around church, I bet you've heard the kind of cultural idea of Jezebel enough to know that that's not a good thing. And, And that's actually true. Jezebel was bad news. Jezebel was ruthless. She was merciless. And she brought a lot of things with her, friends, people, customs, all of that. But one specific thing she brought was the worship of a false god. Now, if you were here a few months ago, you might remember a a spectacular sermon from Dave um, about this false god um, named Baal. And so she brings worship of of Baal into Israel, and it kind of gets mixed into the groundwater a little bit. Uh, It just starts to become something where people are turning away from God, turning to worship this false god. And God sends Elijah to say, and here's a summary of his message, knock it off. That's it. You worship the true God, you don't worship this other one. And so he comes to to Ahab and says, if you keep doing what you're doing, God is going to send a drought over all of Israel. It's not going to rain anymore. And this is significant because everyone in the ancient world believed that the gods controlled the weather. So this was Elijah's way of saying, when it doesn't rain, you can know that the true God has the power to do that. And Baal cannot do anything to stop it because he's not real. That's kind of the idea of what's happening here. Now, as you can imagine, Ahab took this news very, very poorly. And because of that, he decided he wanted to kill Elijah. And God says to Elijah, he goes, look, I want to take you somewhere for you to hide out for a while. And I'm going to take you there. And my promise to you is I'm going to take care of you. Now, God could have taken Elijah back to where he was from. It was a a decent distance away uh, from from where Ahab lived. So God could have taken him back to his homeland. He'd had resources there. He would have had um, people there. He could have hidden out there. Or God could have taken him to a random remote village where at least he would have had a, you know, a bed to sleep on. God could have even put him in a cave and given him some kind of shelter. But instead, God tells him specifically, I want you to go to this river. I want you to go to this brook by the Jordan River, and that's where I want you to stay. With no clarification, with no timeline, with no further instructions, God just says, you're not gonna be where you were and you're not going to be where you're going, I just want you to stay here for a little bit. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you weren't at the place that you used to be, but you also weren't at the place where you're gonna end up? You were just kind of stuck in this liminal moment, kind of kind of put in limbo here. You know, now, sometimes for some people, that's a sad thing because it's really painful to be stuck if, if the situation you're in is hard. But it's not always sad, right? Sometimes it's just annoying. <laughs> Sometimes we're just frustrated because we go, this is not what I want. I have plans, but I can't figure out the next steps. And so we just feel stuck. And I imagine that's how Elijah had to feel, you know, a little bit. I mean, he had to feel a little bit like he was just, just stuck. I just imagine him kind of just by the river, you know, just <laughs> throwing rocks, trying to hit fish, you know, whatever it was that he might've done, just waiting without knowing what was next. We have that moment. I have a friend who is working a job and they don't feel like the job they're working is the end for them. I was having coffee with them a couple weeks ago and they said, you know, I just have this feeling that there's more than I'm supposed to do and I'm worried that I'm wasting time and I'm worried that I just don't, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next because I have benefits from this job and if I just give it up and jump to the next thing, that'll hurt my family, but I just feel like I was made for more and I don't even know what the more is yet and I'm frustrated. That's the river, right? I have a young gal that I, I do some coaching for. And, and she's just graduated college and moved to her first big job, you know, her first adult job. And she's in another town, a new place. And she told me last week, she goes, I, I just don't feel like I have people yet. I've been visiting churches. I'm not connected anywhere. I'm too far away from all of my friends. I just, I just don't know if I'm ever gonna find friends again. And I just feel like I'm lonely in this place. It's the river. One of my best friends from my childhood, probably my oldest friend, uh, he and his wife are, foster, are fostering some children right now. They have a, a young pair of siblings. And they're in that part where they're fighting with the courts a little bit. And, and they, they don't know if these children are going to be available for them to adopt or if they're just going to have them for a little while. Uh, the mom and dad aren't giving up rights, but it's not a good situation. And I was with my friend a couple weeks ago, and he, he told me, he said, it's like someone cuts your chest open and just keeps punching you in the heart over and over again. Like, it's just hard because we don't know if these kids are going to be our kids, and we're worried about what's going to happen next. It's the river. Last month, I talked to a couple uh, who is trying to keep their marriage together after an affair. And the line that just stuck out to me from them was was they, they kind of looked at each other and looked at me sitting in my office and said, you know what? We have just decided, we've come to grips with the fact that things will never be like they used to be. They just won't ever be back to that. We'll never get back the thing we had. It's the river. And you probably have your own story that fits into something similar to this, but here's the thing that I don't have to tell you because you already know it. We don't like to be here, we don't want this. We are hardwired as human beings to want stability to want clarity. Nobody woke up this morning and was like, man, if I could just have a little bit more confusion and a little bit less clarity in my life, that'd be fantastic. Nobody was praying this morning and saying, God, just give me less confidence in my marriage, please. (laughs) That's not what we do. We want answers. I mean, you probably have felt this way before. I know I have. Sometimes I would rather just be back where I was, even though it's not good, because it's better than just being in this limbo where I'm not sure what's going on. That's exactly how Elijah had to feel. And I think because sometimes we find ourselves in this moment and we don't like it, I think we have some tactics that we try to use to, you know, get away from it. Sometimes I think we try to avoid moments like this at all costs. If you're in a scenario where you are are thinking about making a change or doing something and you think to yourself, you know what, doing this might land me at a place where I'm not stable, a place where I'm confused, a place where I feel stuck, a place where I'm frustrated, then we just try to avoid that at all costs. You know, we kind of hedge our bets a little bit to make sure that we don't end up in that spot. I think this is sometimes why people don't respond to that thing that they just really feel like God is telling them to do because we go, well, if I do that, then maybe I'll end up here. Now, of course, the reason that that avoidance doesn't work is because most of the things that land us here at the river are not things that we saw coming. So if you plan for scenario one, two, and three, and how you're going to avoid it, you'll end up here with scenario four, the one that you didn't see coming. So as much as we might want to avoid these moments in our life, we can't actually avoid them all the way because sometimes they just show up. And when we do find ourselves here, everything in us wants to manipulate the situation and manufacture it so we can escape it. So we try to avoid it before we get to it, but then when it actually comes, we do everything we can to escape it. This is the person who goes from job to job to job to job trying to find some kind of significance. Well, maybe if I take this one because it's got more money, this one because it's got a better title, this one because it's more exciting. And where does that person end up after job number four? Here, right back, wondering if they can find purpose and fulfillment in something. I spent about 20 years, the first 20 years of my ministry doing uh, youth ministry, working with teenagers and college students. This is the mechanism that allows someone to say, I am dating a loser. And I know that I should stop dating them, but when I do, now all of a sudden, I'm alone. I don't like to be alone. It doesn't feel good. So what will I do? Will I stay here? No, I'll go over here and I'll find another Loser. (laughs) And whenever that person says to you, this time it will be different, you can set your watch to the fact that they're going to be right back here in a little while, telling you, wow, this one's going to be different. Time number five, I'm going to get it right. The reality is, whether you're trying to avoid this at all costs, or whether you're trying to manufacture your own way out, you can't do it. Like my mom used to say, if you could have, you would have. So then if we can't actually avoid these moments where we feel like we're in between things, where we feel sad or hurt or frustrated or angry angry or impatient or whatever, if we can't avoid them, and if we also can't run away and manufacture them because at best it's just a short-term solution, what do we do? What is our other option in these kind of moments? I think it's what Elijah actually did. See, I think we can stay. I think we can stay here. So that's what I think he did. I just imagine him kind of just sitting by the river, hanging out, waiting. Because see, he knew that God had promised him something. That's the thing he had. He knew that God had promised that if he was here, something would happen. And so he stayed. And I think this is the real cost when we don't stay. I think when we don't stay in the places where we are, I think that we miss the opportunity to see God show up through his faithful promises. Now, when I say stay, I don't mean give up. I don't mean become a victim. This doesn't mean you go, I'm gonna spend every Friday and Saturday night sitting in my house because God's gonna make the person who he has for me come knock on my door. That's probably not it. Doesn't mean you don't ever go look for another job if the job you have isn't working. Staying doesn't mean that we become helpless. But it does mean that we understand that God's promises to us, they might be location-based. Let's think about that for a minute. Because here's what we do. When we avoid coming to the river at all, as best we can, we find ourselves standing over here going, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to show up for me? When we're here and we don't like it, and then we manufacture our way to something different, and we try to force it and fix it on our own. We find ourselves over here going, God, I don't get it. Where are you? But God is telling us, I'm where I told you I would be. I said, come to the river and I'll take care of you there. See, we have to stop looking for God's promises in a place other than where he promised they would be. We have to stop trying to find God's blessing and benefit outside of doing the thing that he has asked us to do. I think that's what it means to stay. I think staying means that we believe that God has something for us and the thing that he has for us is somewhere really, really specific. That's what Elijah did. Elijah stayed because God had promised him something. And and what God promised Elijah was a little weird. We have it here on the screens. God said to him, if you stay here, I will take care of you. And here's how I'll do it. I will bring ravens, crows, and I will have them drop meat and bread for you every morning. And then you can drink water from from the river." Now, we are a very rational, logical group of thinking people here. So can we imagine together, or at least acknowledge together, this is weird, this scenario, right? The scenario where God sends crows to drop meat. You know where I never see crows getting their meat? Prime cuts. I see crows getting their meat on McCain Road when I'm sitting at a stop honking my horn trying to get them out of the way. Giant devil birds, right? (laughs) So I can only imagine what this scenario is like for Elijah, who wakes up in the morning to the sound of the running brook and then the angry screams of the hordes of crows that are dropping meat all around him. This just seems like the worst possible thing. And if if you're Elijah, don't you think there's some moment where this is happening and you're just looking at God and going, yeah, "Really?" <laughs> And here it gets even a little bit deeper for Elijah, because Elijah is a, is a, is a Jewish man who would follow the, the Torah, the Old Testament law. And in Leviticus 11, and what this week has become my new favorite passage in all of the Bible, God outlines all of the different kind of animals that are gross. He starts with mammals, he does fish, he does bugs, and then a spectacular section on birds that says this. These are the birds that are gross. That's what detestable means. To you, you must never eat them. They're also not allowed to touch them. But here's his list. The griffin vulture, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, falcons of all kind, ravens of all kind, the eagle owl, the short-eared owl, the seagull, hawks of all kinds, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the barn owl, the desert owl, the Egyptian vulture, the stork, herons of all kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. Now what we take away from this right now, first of all, is God hates owls. It's right there in the Bible. There's like 11 kinds of owls that God doesn't like. but also ravens. And as a matter of fact, in another translation of the Bible, it says all ravens of every kind. Like he, he goes, this is just a blanket statement over any kind of raven. So isn't it weird that God decides to fulfill his promise to Elijah using something that Elijah would have thought was gross and weird. Let me say this again, because I don't want you to miss this. God shows up for Elijah in a way that would have been very hard for him to understand in real time, in a way that would not have felt hopeful and helpful in the moment. Are you with me? Maybe God is showing up for us right now, right where you are, the river. Maybe he's showing up in real time, but we just don't see it because in the moment, it doesn't feel helpful and hopeful. God used detestable gross birds to drop meat for Elijah, and thousands of years later, in Jackson, Michigan on a Sunday, we're telling this story to talk about how faithful God is to us. That's because time and perspective are what allow us to see the faithfulness of God. Said another way, you don't get these kind of things unless you stick around. You don't get these kind of things unless you stay. And, that, and that's what Elijah did. Elijah did, did two important things, I think. I think he chose to do something important, and then I think he refused to do something else. See, what I think here is I think Elijah chose to believe that God was working and God was moving even when he didn't see it, even when it didn't feel right in real time. And because Elijah made that choice, he was able to see the promise of God. Not only was he able to see the promise of God in the moment, but he was able to have that same promise serve as kind of a reminder for him for everything else moving forward. Think about that. As Elijah's life continued to get more complicated, as he was on the run even more, as he had people looking for him, he continued to be able to look back to this moment as kind of an anchor to go, yeah, I might not feel it now, but back then God showed up for me. And if he showed up for me back then in a way that I didn't recognize in that moment, then even though I don't see it right now, maybe he's showing up for me. You know what some of us don't have? We don't have any history of God's faithfulness for ourselves because, because we've never stayed around long enough to let him be faithful, to see his promise come true. So later on, we could look back on that thing and go, yeah, that's what God does. That's how he shows up. For some of us, you've got to get some history. And the only way you get history of God's faithfulness with, with, within your own life is to stick around and stay here. So Elijah chooses to stay, and that's what we have to do. He chooses to believe that God is working, even if it doesn't feel helpful and hopeful in real time. And then he refuses to go look anywhere else to find what God has promised him here. And this is such a hard thing for us to do because we're smart, because we have ability, because we have money in our pockets, because we have all of these things, because we can, (laughs) because we have the ability when we feel lonely to go out somewhere and fix it. We have the ability when we don't feel fulfilled, even for a second, to go out and find something that can give us temporary fulfillment. And because we can do those things, then it seems like the easiest choice in the world to just step over here and just go, I'm gonna try to find what God offers somewhere else. But God's promise is available where he told you to be. That's the way that it was made to work. So you choose to believe that God is working even when you don't feel it in real time. And then you refuse to go look for that same thing anywhere else. Now, you might be thinking, as you hear me talk about this, dude, you don't know my situation. And you're right. I don't. I don't have any idea what's going on with you. You know, last week we heard, in in all of my years of going to church, and believe me, I've gone to church for a long time, but we heard last week, if you were here, what I thought was one of the most moving sermons that I've ever heard, where our friend Dave stood up here and told us about a time where he is by the river worrying about his dad, you know? But the point is that none of us knew that, we didn't know that story until he told it to us. And my guess is that if we went around this room right now, everyone in here could tell me a story, could tell us a story about something that's going on with you, whether you're annoyed, whether you're hurt, whether you're sad, whether you're frustrated, whether you're just mad about the things that are happening here. And I bet even with all of our collective smarts in this room, we couldn't solve everyone's problems. We couldn't give you the solution of the thing to do. So this is what I'm asking you to do. as as your pastor, and for some of you, as your friend, I'm asking you to stay. I'm asking you to stay here. It's not comfortable. (laughs) It's cold (laughs) in this water. It's not great, but I'm asking you to stay because I am telling you from everything that I understand to be true about God and about his word, that this is where he will meet you. He has promises for you. He wants them to come true in your life, and you will not get them unless you build some history. And history starts here. History starts staying in the place where God has put you. That's what my friend who I was telling you about, the, talking about the job, that's what they are doing. They told me, they said, I don't feel like this is the job I'm supposed to have long-term. But you know what? I'm showing up every day. I'm giving my best to it. I'm putting all my passion and creativity into it. Why? Because God might be doing something and I just might not see it right now. The, the young woman who I'm coaching, who doesn't feel like she has friends in her new place. She's at another church this morning. She texted me yesterday and said, going to try another one. Don't know if it'll work or not. But maybe God's doing something, right? Maybe he's showing up in a way that I don't see in real time. So I'm not going to go look for it somewhere else. My friend who's doing foster care sat across the table at a little Mexican restaurant in Indianapolis for me a couple weeks ago and said, look, I, we might not get to keep these kids. And I don't know how we'll make it if we don't, because we've given our hearts to them. But we're gonna love them right now. And regardless of whether we get to keep them or, they, or not, and whether or not we have to watch them go back to a hard situation, here's what we're gonna believe. God's doing something. He's working. And if that's where he puts us, we're gonna stay because of what he's doing. And the couple who's trying to save their marriage, right after they said to me, we have just come to grips with the fact that things will never be the same again for us. Their next line was, but we are believing with everything we have that God is telling a new story in our lives. He's doing something different for us now. And we're holding on and we're fighting even when it doesn't feel right now because that's what we believe God is doing even if we can't see it. So church, this is my challenge to us. I don't know where you are, And I don't know what this feels like for you. I don't know if you're mad. I don't know if you're sad. I don't know if you're frustrated. Whatever that is, you fill it in. But what I'm telling you is God's promises are right here. So you choose to believe that he's working, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it feels like ravens and meat. (laughs) Choose to believe he's working and then refuse to go look for it somewhere else because his promises are right here, right where you are. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for today and thanks for a reminder of how good you are. God, you're so faithful to us. I just It's overwhelming to think that no matter how many times we walk away, when we come back to this place, your promises are still there for us. God, how blessed are we that you're not holding grudges because we've walked away from you, that you're, that you're sticking with us. And so God, we commit to stick with you, to stay in the places you have put us, to stay where your promises are, And we can't wait to see what you'll do. Amen.